Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In times of spiritual and moral chaos, it can be hard to discern truth from error and to apply it to all of life. God's word is not silent, and we don't have to be either. This is Once for All Delivered with Caleb Castro and Andrew Smith. Hello, OFAD lads and lasses. This is the Once for All Delivered podcast. I am Andrew Smith. I am Caleb Castro. We are here tonight. Uh, We're recording this on Thursday night. We're not doing it live because I'm a fool and double booked myself. So I have a meeting tonight at our normal stream time. And so we're meeting up a little early to record an episode. Um, We've uh, gone back and forth a few times on potential topics this week. We have a couple other we were going to do, and we'll still do them at some point, most likely. Uh, but as often is the case when we're kind of not sure what to do, we're going to compare catechisms. And that works out. It's It's been a while, I think, actually. So, uh, <laughs> no. Get thee behind me, Stained. All right. So tonight we are continuing with our catechisms, like Andrew said. Yes, we are going to compare them. And then we are going to see what is alike in that comparison. And then we may perhaps even contrast them. Perhaps. But, well, I guess what are we doing today? We're comparing catechisms. <laughs> yeah, so we're looking at Lord's Day 7. Uh, <laughs> Lord's Day 7 uh, somewhat starts a... Um, it's the start in, in the Heidelberg Catechism of... Uh, in a manner, the bulk of what the rest of the catechism takes up. Um, this kind of lays the groundwork for where it's going. Um, uh it's asking, okay, well, you know, what do I need to believe to be a Christian, basically? Um, what, how, how does someone be a, become a Christian? Because we, we'd heard in the previous Lord's Days, well, what's the problem? Well, we're sinners. We need salvation. Um, and so now it's going to tell us how we actually get that deliverance. Um, and uh, once for all. Once for all. Yeah. Or just once though, for the elect, for all time. Show title reference. <laughs> so the, uh, so yeah, this, this is going to go into, ex- um, into what exactly faith is and its, in its nature of its essence, um, its causes. And then, uh, in the next Lord's days, it'll then saying what exactly it is that you have, like precisely that you believe, like what is the content, uh, that faith believes in. And then from there on, Lord's Day, uh, what, about 22, 23, it'll start going into, um, it'll start then going into, well, what does that faith do to us? What's its effects? Uh, so how, how do we produce fruits of love of God and love of neighbor? Um, and then what does that look like in a life lived in servitude? So this is really setting up here then for the rest of it. But Uh, Without further ado in there, we'll be looking at, uh, in the Heidelberg Catechism first, uh, question and answer 20 and 21, and 22 gets a, 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 it's highly important, but the, but it's the Apostles' Creed, and so that that'll be unfolded 
in further um, in further Lord's days. For the uh, Westminster Larger Catechism, we'll be going through question and answer uh, 72 and 73, um, and question and answer uh, 153. So let's take a look here then. We'll read question and answer 20. Again, this is the URCNA's version of it. Uh, question, what are, or sorry, are all people then saved through Christ just as they were lost through Adam? Uh, answer, no. Only those are saved who through true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. So this, uh, this question and answer has something in, uh, uh, in the back of its mind. Um, you know, we're, we're, if we're all, it's, it's, it's a logical thought that uh, previously the, the, the catechism was saying, you know, where all men are, uh, are condemned in sin in the fall through Adam. We all have original sin of that that original guilt and pollution that corrupts our nature. So therefore, all of humankind are uh, are depraved. Um, all then must have a, uh, to be saved. They need a mediator. Uh, so the logical thought then is is well, okay then. Um, if we're all condemned in Adam, then aren't we all saved? in Christ, who's called the second Adam in, in, in Romans 5. Um, so it's a, a, a distinction uh, is, is coming through here in this question. Um, only those are saved who through true faith are, gra uh, are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. It's laying out the terms here. So it already starts with, well, there's, there's some that are just uh, there, there are only some who are saved. We might think of Matthew 22, uh, 14. Uh, many are called, few are chosen. Um, there's, uh, there, there, there's behind this, uh, there's behind this faith, uh, the decree of election, uh, if you want to call it behind. Um, so that, that's already going on according to the eternal purposes of God. It's, it, you know, salvation is by his counsel. And this is where we're going to see what, uh, over time, what, you know, why, why salvation in faith alone is also by grace alone. Um, any comments on that so far, Andrew? Um, yeah, I think it's uh, good to point out that uh, this is obviously against universalism. Universalism, it's kind of a a big pro I mean it's not a new problem there's been a universalism going as a heresy and as an error in doctrine going back to the mm -hmm. very early days of the church maybe even before uh, maybe even before Christianity um so it, it's obviously sort of taken on uh, it's got a lot of new energy behind it in our day you could think of people like Rob Bell and his uh love wins and other more modern proponents of universalism and uh you know it just shows how how timeless these catechisms are because it anticipates something that's actually a very modern problem yeah that's a it's a really good point in that um and th this does have in mind a uh, a general universalism um that is uh, that is uh <clears throat> um you know, uh, in particular for our days, uh, in 
at the time of the catechism, there was also a, um, uh, sorry, I didn't pull this one up beforehand. Um, there's also something of a, uh, uh, of, of a thought of how Rome would consider um, salvation as well. Um, let me pull up, sorry, I'm getting this part ready here. You know, um, Da, 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 da. Why can't I get this? This is uh, high quality yes. content that that's right. are here for. That's right. There we go. Got it. All right. So, um, so the the this is obviously a helpful thing in terms of uh, Arminianism um, as well. Uh, so not just universalism, but a uh, a general atonement that uh, salvation uh, that that Christ's one sacrifice on the cross paid for the sins of all mankind um and so but even if all mankind doesn't believe in assent to it um but there on the other end there's 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 uh roman catholicism that uh when this was written before the armenian controversy the the, the medieval church uh said that uh you know the object of faith was really uh the church um, you know, and not not uh, Christ himself, which is uh, you know, which which clearly the the catechism is is underscoring here that those who are saved through true faith are grafted into Christ. And, I mean, the question presupposes it: Are all people then saved through Christ? Um, so, if in other words, for Rome, the idea was that if you're to be saved. You have to be a member of the church, and you place your confidence in the church itself, in its teaching ministry, uh, whatever it teaches, without question. Um, there was a um, there was a uh, uh, something of a uh, there was something called a, the coal miners' catechism in that period um, that would ask the question. Um, uh, first question, what do you believe? Answer, I believe what the church believes. You know, question two, what does the church believe? Answer, the church believes what I believe. And question three, you know, what is it that both you and the church believe? If you can guess the answer, it's we both believe the very same thing. Hmm. So the, 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 the concept is that the, the church asks all the questions for the Christian, really. The church thinks for the Christian. The church um reasons for the christian and the church believes for the christian so in all these ways what it is is that the savior is placed so far above you and out of your reach you need um the mediator to reach the mediator um so the church is essentially the instrumental uh cause of salvation for you whereas the Protestants would say that it's it's true faith that is instrumental. Um, and then in the next question and answer, we'll get at, well, exactly what is that? Uh, so any additional thoughts there, Andrew? Nope. You want, nope. You want me to, to do Westminster here? You want me to come back to it? I think Westminster here is good. Okay. Uh, let me get my slide. All right, so 
Uh, related to that, we actually jump ahead quite a ways in the Westminster Larger Catechism to question 153. We'll come back to a couple other ones that are earlier. Um, but this is putting a similar question before uh, Christians, before believers. What doth God require of us that we may escape his wrath and curse due to us by reason of the transgression of the law? that we may escape the wrath and curse of God due to us by reason of the transgression of the law. He requireth of us repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ and the diligent use of the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. Now, we have often said throughout this series that the Heidelberg has a more a subjective emphasis in the Westminster is more objective. This is a bit of an exception to that because attacking this issue, attacking this question of what is required for salvation, the Heidelberg actually uh, attack, uh, attacks the question more from an objective perspective and a universal perspective. Uh, whereas the Westminster... Uh, talks about more what do we specifically from our side and our experience of it need um, so we see that these elements that are needed we need uh, repentance towards God uh, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ and then this is interesting this gets into something that we're probably not going to discuss in a lot of detail now but we'll come back later in the catechism over and over again and that is the diligent use of the outward means the means of grace the ministry of the word, sacraments, and then there. this would be one of the differences between the uh, sets of confessional standards. The Westminster adds prayer as a means of grace, whereas the three forms ex don't explicitly do that. Um, but yeah, so uh, at, at the core of it, we still see very similarly there is faith. Faith is the um, what is required. Now, what is required is given, and we'll see that as we go along and unpack faith a little more as to what it is. Um, but there is also some similarity when you look at question 20 of the Heidelberg, and it talks about those who are grafted into Christ. So you see this uh, monergistic aspect to it, this aspect of, you. I mean... When we think about grafting, this is using language from Romans chapter 11, which is talking about, I mean, it uses this illustration of the olive tree that has some branches that are broken off and thrown into the fire. Paul is talking about unbelieving Israel. Um, they're no longer a part of the people of God. And then there's other branches that are grafted onto the tree that bear fruit. These would be the Gentiles that are brought in. Brought in. But the thing about when you're talking about a tree and branches and grafting, uh, branches can't do much to graft themselves onto a tree. For one thing, I mean, branches, they're not able to move on their own. Um, but yeah, so this is something that has to be done to us. This is something that has to be done externally to us, worked in us uh, from outside, and particularly worked in us by the ministry of the Word and by the Spirit, um, which we'll get into more in detail as we go along. Um just another quick note on this use of the means of grace, because we probably won't be back to this again until we get to later in the Catechism. Um, what this is not saying is something like Roman sacerdotalism, where you need to keep doing the sacraments over and over again to uh, 
retain your salvation to continue to be forgiven of sins. Um, the means are the means by which God saves us, the, the means by which the gospel is effectuated in us, and the means by which we are sanctified. But it's not a... Uh, it's not like the doctrine of the Mass, we'll get to that later on, where Christ has to be re-sacrificed and we have to repartake of him over and over again. Christ saves us once for all, um, but he saves us once for all and, and uh, sanctifies and preserves us by the use of these appointed means. So. Yeah, and that's uh, that's something that the, uh, the Heidelberg uh, takes up again in Lord's Day 25 uh, as it um, as it will later on, uh, exposit the, uh, uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, once the content of, of faith is identified with the Apostles' Creed, so what it is that we must believe, uh, it gets more specific in saying, like, how, uh, or where do we get this faith from? Uh, so there's, there's overlaps there, you see, uh, I mean, so really there's, you know, a lot of this, uh, is, a lot of the, the, the catechisms will will um, you know presume that you're remembering something you learned earlier on, uh, so it'll, it'll recur uh, in this way to solidify it, show it, it how it's connected in various parts. Um, so the the so let's let's look at um, question and answer twenty one then um, get a little uh, uh, get oriented to the main aspect here that uh, it's concerned with. Um, so, in, so, uh, question and answer 21 question asks, what is true faith? Uh, and this is again, the URC ver uh, version here. So there will be some things to note in this, uh, true faith is not only a sure knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. It is also a wholehearted trust, which the Holy spirit works in me by the gospel that God has freely granted, not only to others, but to me also, forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. These gifts are purely of grace only because of Christ's merit. So again, that's, uh, uh, I mentioned that, that there's a profound connection to uh, to grace here, um, in the nature of grace alone, my faith alone, uh, that is again taken up later on in the catechism. But um, there's, a couple keywords in here. So you, you note uh, the the URC or you know the catechism puts it in something of a negative sense. Uh, true faith is not only a sure knowledge um, by which I hold is true. So it's saying that there is an uh, there is an intellectual aspect of it. There is a uh, something where we're engaging in our minds um, uh, reasonably a. Uh, the information, if you will, uh, that is revealed to us in uh, the word or all that God has revealed to us in his word. Um, but then the catechism also states that there is a wholehearted trust. Um, this is this is broken up in, in, in two additional parts than in here. Basically, um, the catechism uh, in, in, in following uh, in following a, a, a traditional um uh reformed or even scholastic um explanation of faith will say that faith has three parts it's it, it's knowledge it's um it's confidence and assent or knowledge assent and trust is another way to say that so uh that's why you actually get this this 
um, this modifier that comes in uh, that you can see if you're reading the screen, this modifier of wholehearted trust. So not just trust or belief of itself, but a wholehearted and a, a, a truly uh, grasping of uh, a, a latching onto um, of what we're uh, of, of the things that we believe. Uh, Ursinus gives a, a, a helpful uh, definition here that that he includes all of its parts. He says uh, in his in his commentary on the Catechism, faith in general of whatever kind mentioned is made in the Holy Scriptures. Uh, it is made in the Holy Scriptures is an assent to or a certain knowledge of what is revealed concerning God, his will, works, and grace in which we confide upon divine testimony. So there again, you get this, uh, th that is the, uh, the um, knowledge and the wholehearted and the trust. Uh, it is, or it is to yield assent to every word of God delivered to the church in the law and gospel on account of the declaration of God himself. And so that's the next part he said when he, that it's, I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. Um, it is a wholehearted trust. Where does that come from? Catechism continues in saying the Holy Spirit works it in me by the gospel. So this is in part what Andrew was speaking of from uh, from uh, the larger Catechism 153, and uh, I believe you had read a, that that was 72, uh, that there is the outward means uh, whereby Christ communicates to us those benefits of his mediation. So we are grafted into Christ, united to him. Um, and, uh, and, and, and those, those benefits are communicated or conferred to us, uh, through that inner working of the spirit. So there's an external and an outer, uh, means that is occurring. Uh, so the, the, um, pardon me. So the, the faith that's that's worked in us is essentially a faith that affects the whole person um, to, to affect the all faculties, really, of man, the intellect, the the uh, the affections and the uh, volition. But it is particularly the volition and this this ascent that is bent and conformed uh, into the the into the things of God to 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 want to follow, to desire his will. But uh, from from the standpoint of standpoint of believing in everything that has been said, uh, the warnings, the indictments, the the uh, the uses of the law, uh, it's it's moral standard. But it particularly that this only comes through the Savior. Um, so that that so that's the gist of what true faith itself is. And then just briefly here. Uh, the second part of question and answer 21 then speaks exactly what those benefits of Christ's mediation are. God has freely granted to me, so there's 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 grace alone, and not only to me personally, but he has an elect, uh, concrete, definite people of all time. Not only to others, but to me also. So it's, it, there's a corporate aspect and personal. Uh, the benefits of forgiveness of sins— so complete pardon, eternal righteousness, which we spoke about in previous episodes, that there's not only because of both passive and active obedience, we truly have righteousness in Christ. And 
salvation itself. So complete deliverance from evil while leading unto everlasting life with God. These gifts, it's another huge key word that will recur throughout the catechism. These gifts are purely of grace only because of Christ's merit, that is his work. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 Um, so similarly, I actually had not read uh, 72 yet, uh, but now I will of the larger catechism because it relates to this as does 73. Uh, what is justifying faith? Now, I just note at the outset in the Heidelberg, it asks, what is true faith? Uh, in Westminster, it says, what is justifying faith? Um, there's not a distinction between the two. Justifying faith is true faith. Um, it can be distinguished from other kinds of faith that are not true faith, and I'll get to that here in a moment. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, justifying faith, true faith, they are the same thing. It's just the larger catechism in the context of where we're at in it when we get to this part, it is in the context of its dealing with justification. And so faith is treated um, immediately under and sort of uh, within uh justification as the as the logic of the catechism progresses so the question is what is justifying faith the answer justifying faith is a saving grace wrought in the heart of a sinner by the spirit and word of god whereby he that is the sinner being convinced of his sin and misery and of the disability in himself and all other creatures to recover him out of his lost condition not only assenteth to the truth of the promise of the gospel, but receiveth and resteth upon Christ and his righteousness therein held forth for pardon of sin and for the accepting and accounting of his person righteous in the sight of God for salvation. Now, this is a different answer. It's a bit longer than question 21, and actually uh, there will also be 73, which is also long because this is the larger catechism after all. Um, but you'll notice many of the same uh, ideas and emphases here in question 72 of the larger that you see in 21 of the Heidelberg. So as far as this knowledge, um, you have the sinner being convinced of his sin and misery. He comes to know his sin and misery. Um, now, it is interesting that uh, the Heidelberg does not state negatively the sin and misery that uh, one is saved from, at least not here. We've talked about it already before. We did in some detail sin and misery, in fact, even up to immediately before this. Um, but the Westminster treats it under the same question, this issue of sin and misery. So you have this intellectual aspect of it, this knowledge aspect of it, um, of sin and misery and the disability to save himself. Um, and then also an assent, uh, there's that word again, assent to the truth of the promise of the gospel. Um, so... Uh, it's an, and it's interesting too, we have this not only, but also statement, doesn't say also, but not only, but, so not only, uh, assenteth of the truth of the promise of the gospel. So similar to the Heidelberg, not only a sure knowledge, uh, but also, uh, receiveth and resteth. So this wholehearted trust. So you have, although it's worded very differently, it's essentially making the same point in the same way. That's not only, but also, so for the Heidelberg, it's not only a 
sure knowledge, but also a wholehearted trust here. It's not only uh, ascendeth to the truth, but receiving and resting. Uh, receiving and resting, while it doesn't say it in quite the same terms, you could see this very much as a wholehearted trust. Um, can you rest if you don't have trust? Uh, can you rest if you're not confident in what you're resting on or what you're resting in? Um, maybe to use an illustration, maybe it's kind of a silly illustration, but suppose you had a bed and your bed was very flimsy and fragile and maybe it has fallen apart on you and you've had to put it back together several times. And so you lay down at night in your bed and you don't know if at any moment it's going to fall apart on you. Are you going to rest very well on that bed? Probably not. Um, you would probably be rather apprehensive and anxious. In fact, you'd probably just give up and sleep on the floor, throw your mattress on the floor and say, I've had enough of this. Um, so rest, while not explicitly stated, it, it implies wholehearted trust. You can't rest on something if you don't trust it. Um, you can't rest if you're not sure. You can't rest if you're still wondering if you've, if you've really got it or not. Um, now I think this is interesting to talk about here too, because it is often, often what is said to be one of the major differences between the Westminster standards and the three forms of unity. And this is fleshed out, uh, more explicitly in the confession, uh, regarding, uh, its teaching on assurance of salvation, um, it's been presented often, that, and I think we've talked about this before too, although it's been a long time, so it's worth bringing up again, uh, that according to some, the three forms tradition uh, says that assurance is of the essence of the faith, where the Westminster says that it is not. And it is true that uh, the Westminster does say that assurance is not of the essence of the faith and not so of the essence of faith that one may uh, not at all times have it. Um, but it's often from question 21 of the Heidelberg that I, I see on the other side, people saying that, well, assurance, you must have assurance to have faith. And yet you see the larger using very similar language and not, uh, not having an issue with that, not having a, a problem with that. So I think that's, that's rather interesting as well. Yeah, the, um, what, what the catechism's emphasizing here, which uh, you, you hear the same words actually um, in, uh, I think that was in 73, um, uh, is, is uh, the basis is the object of, of faith. Um, that, that's what makes it entirely different, right? I mean, because you can, um, uh, to go back to your bed analogy, I guess you could say, you, uh, you know, you, you can get rest on a bed, um, but you can also get rest on a couch, right? You can get rest laying on the floor. Um, you know, so what, what are you, what are you resting in? What are you laying down upon? Um, or to be more in, in the language of the catechisms here, uh, you can have faith or, or a, a trust in something. I trust my wife, right? Uh, you know, I, um, I don't know, I, I, everyone can place a, a simple faith or belief in something, uh, atheists or, or even, uh, you know, uh, what you see in the, the, the woke culture in these days, they, they clearly have beliefs in the faith, in the things that they, that they, uh, you know, that have the information <laughs> that's coming to their heads, 
you know, um, they can have some kind of a, a confidence and a trust in, in those things and in their ideologies and teachers. But what, what separates uh, what the, the, the catechisms are speaking of here is that very object of faith, which is Jesus Christ himself as the promise uh, of the gospel, as that very promise of grace and its fulfillment where we actually find it. So that's, uh, you know, so that, that really ends up being the cusp. Because that's the same basis of our assurance itself. Our mm -hmm. faith and our assurance, it's all this is in uh, the one who who obtains that righteousness, that justifying, uh, uh, the 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 the, the I should rather say even the, the justification for us that 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 makes the terms of what we need to be saved fulfilled, um, so that we are regarded as uh, as obedient and righteous, even though we are not in and of ourselves. So without that, um, um. Without a true object, you get uh, a distortion of faith. You get false forms of faith. I, I'm sure we're going to go into here in a moment here. But um, it remember that the, the catechisms are also saying that this is all about this is all about God's work as well. Uh, the author of salvation is God. You know, it's it's by decree of the Father uh, of the of the elect um, in uh, given giving a people over as a possession to the son as the mediator before all time the 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 mediator uh being the the basis of justification and righteousness to restore to deliver and restore uh in the pardon of his blood in historical time um on behalf of those people and then it, it, it's worked by the application of those of, of, of that salvation and all of its benefits. Uh, it's, it's applied by the medium of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. So there's a, um, you know, so, so it's, it's a fully Trinitarian salvation that will bring us from start to finish in this whole thing. Uh, thus, again, these gifts are purely of grace and they are possessed by uh, only because of Christ's merit. Um, but I mentioned uh, that there's there's uh, certain different forms of faith, which is what we've kind of been, you know, hinting at throughout. Uh, since Andrew was actually the first one to bring it up uh, on the nature of justifying faith, I'll turn that over to him. Yeah. Um, so what is there besides justifying faith? Um, and this is from... Uh, Johannes Gerhardus Voss's commentary on the larger catechism. It looks like this, edited by G.I. Williamson, who uh, just passed away a few months ago, um, but was kind of a, a giant of uh, confessional studies in the 20th and early 21st century. Um, not only writing himself commentaries on the Westminster Confession and the Shorter Catechism, but then editing this one by Voss. And then he also wrote one on the Heidelberg and is a good resource if you want to do this kind of study. Uh, but this is Johannes Gerhardus Voss's commentary on uh, question 72. Uh, he says, besides justifying faith, what other kinds of faith are there? He says, besides justifying faith, there are also historical faith and temporary faith, and then he goes to explain what they are. What is historical faith? This is a mere belief in Jesus Christ as a historical person, J. 
just as we believe in George Washington or Abraham Lincoln, which I get what he's saying, but I don't particularly believe in Abraham Lincoln. I don't think he existed. Um, <laughs> I'm agnostic. Yeah, you're 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 all Lincoln, and I'm yeah yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, the the person who has historical faith believes that Jesus Christ lived, said and did certain things, was crucified, and he may even believe that Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. But all this is to him merely so much information. He has no personal trust in Christ as a savior. And then he says, can historical faith alone save us? No, we read in James 2.19 that the devils have this kind of faith. But it does not save them, it only makes them tremble with fear. So that's the first kind, is this historical faith. You believe in a set of facts about Jesus, but that in themselves uh, do not save. So, you know, if your faith is only the knowledge, uh, that's not true faith. That's not justifying faith. But then the other kind is what is temporary faith. This is a kind of faith which at first resembles true saving faith, but it is only temporary and soon passes away because it has no root in a new heart. We learn of this kind of faith from the parable of the sower. Um, just a side note, I just preached this text about a month ago. So if you're interested, uh, you can go over to the sermon feed um, if you want to hear more of my thoughts on the sower. Um, but it is a very good illustration of this, this program for it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Westminster OPC Hamill Sermons, I think, is our podcast feed name. You'd think I would know, because um, I run it. But anyway, uh, yeah. Uh, temporary faith often results from revivals, where there, he says, revivals in scare quotes. He says, where there is much excitement and people's emotions are powerfully stirred up. They profess to be converted, but later return to their former sinful manner of living and lose interest in religion. I think it's really interesting he makes this connection to revivals. And I think I even used this illustration when I preached on the sower when I was, I think I was in seventh grade. Um, you know, I grew up in a small town in a very conservative area in Wyoming. And uh, so we actually had in our school... Uh, there was like signs put up and they rented a school bus to take a lot of kids from my school to a youth rally, a youth revival in the next town over about 60 miles away. Um, and there was this big, you know, it was this big event. They had uh, this band playing all the modern worship songs and, uh, you know, they had these speakers and stuff. And at the end of the night, the, the, the headlining speaker, he comes up and he gives like a 15 minute gospel presentation and they do like an hour long altar call. Pretty much everybody in that whole rodeo arena, cause it was in a rodeo arena. Cause that's the part of the country I'm from, um, went down and got saved. They went down and were told to pray the sinner's prayer and they did, um, and this is probably like 50, 60 kids from my school that went. And yeah, they all thought they got saved that night. But then uh, we go back to school and within a few weeks, like people seem to start falling back into their old ways. Rather, ironically, one of my friends, he asked me the next day after this revival why I didn't go forward and get saved. I was like, well, I'm already a Christian. It's only something you need to do once. So... <laughs> Uh, you know, because seventh grader with seventh grade theology, but uh, I mean, it is only something that happens once, but it's not something you need to do once. But uh, anyway, so yeah, but then uh, 
Yeah, most of those people that ostensibly got saved that night, they there was really no there was really no life in them. There was really no root in them. Just like the seeds uh, that get snatched away in the parable of the sower, the ones that get scorched by the sun, they might persevere for a time, but they only have temporary faith. It's not real faith. It's not faith unto life. Um, you know, so then you real yeah real quick before you get to justifying faith there. I'm assuming that's where you're going next, right? Nope, it's not because nope. we already did have... that. I, well, I just no, have no, from GI, but um, sorry, from uh, from uh, Voss. Yeah, no, we. Are, I don't. Ha I just have one more on a temporary. Well, I guess distinguishing temporary faith from justifying faith. Yeah, yeah, that's where you thought I was going. Well, actually, I was going to ask uh, if he, if he includes in there um, uh, the miraculous faith. Um, no. Yes. You wanna you wanna add that? Yeah, brief note there. This is this is something of a of a distinction you'll get that's um uh perhaps another form of uh temporary faith. Um there's a uh there's a third kind that comes in, in uh that uh you'll find in the continental uh commentaries and such uh, on this. I can't recall if uh, if actually Calvin speaks on this too, but um, but Ursinus adds, uh, adds miraculous faith here. Um, and he uses as an example, some, so ba basically he says it's, there's, there, there is a special gift that affects some kind of extraordinary work. So in reaction to, uh, per even performing or seeing miracles, uh, there's, there is a, uh, there is a, a persuasion that, that occurs, um, in some measure, he 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 also supposes that it can be uh, that there's a um, a belief in the general word, uh, so something that's grabbed a hold on because you just saw something crazy happen in 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 your in in the context of uh, of nature, if you will, of a of uh, so it's something of a of a special revelation that's occurred in general revelation. We see that general revelation being impacted with our eyes, but the actual special revelation of the word does not touch the heart. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You see something crazy happen in front of you that defies nature. Therefore, I'm going to believe. Um, it is another temporary thing in there. So he uses examples like saying. Um, uh, for example, the the uh, Simon Magus, uh, Simon Magus, Simon the Magician um, in Acts eight, uh, he actually even appeals to this as well uh, to, to Simon in uh, when he talks about intellectual faith or the uh, faith of knowledge um, as well. He uh, he saw the miracles happen. He believed he was even uh, baptized uh, in these things. Um, but he wasn't able to do these kind of miracles. Uh, there was uh, himself. Um, there was Judas, who himself uh, was an apostle, who walked, who talked, who who uh, who preached, uh, and who himself would have worked miracles like the other apostles. Uh, and yet, he didn't have that faith that actually justifies, and he would be said that he is of the devil. Right. Uh, even one of you is a, is the devil. Um, there's others like the uh, the sons of, uh, of Sceva, Acts 19, um, uh, that attempt the exorcism and then get beat up. So there's there's something of a uh, 
they 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 have an an attraction or a grasping onto this kind of extraordinary. So it, it's perhaps we could say a an extension or a hyper extension uh, and an effectual um, or effect effective uh, um, extension of a temporal faith. There's some temporal faith that's just also merely like, oh, uh, you know, I, I uh, have a general understanding of certain doctrines. I, I might have that kind of emotional joy. But yeah, when when hardships come, I get rocked in the boat. But then this is kind of like a, a, a um, uh, perhaps we could say even an ecstatic or experiential, um, a hyper experiential kind of faith here. Yeah, um, which so I, 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 yeah, I think that's what Voth is kind of getting at when he right. brings in revivals in because that's probably our most common modern example of this. Um, experientialism, I mean, that's a whole other can of worms we could probably get into another time. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think too of another example, like I've been preaching through John, and you know, early on in John, you have Jesus doing all these miracles. Uh, you know, when he feeds 5,000 and when he does miracles of healing and such, there's all these great multitudes that start following him and they even have some belief in him. I mean, at one point they're ready to make him their king, um, which he uh, doesn't want to do and and uh, gets away so they don't. Um, but then once he starts, you know, teaching the difficult truths of of doctrine, of what, you know, uh, belonging to him actually means and what it requires and things of that sort. Um, then they're gone. Then they, they get out of there. Mm -hmm. So you, you kind of see that too, as another example of the, of this miraculous faith. But the, the last point, I, boss, <laughs> go ahead. I was to say one last thing on that. You just made me think that, uh, actually, I think what it is, uh, or sinus is particularly looking at, um, uh, specifically, uh, objects, uh, that are not Christ, uh, right. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, I think, in some ways, there's a. So I think he's he's getting very particular in it because, uh, you know, he's he's latching on to uh, mere you know historical intellectual faith. It's just mere facts that are interesting things that are being latched onto. The temporal are are things that uh you know that are say benefits themselves of being a Christian, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, the the external or or local benefits in a visible church or perhaps even glory riches prestige the prosperity gospel kind of goals uh, uh marriage is a common marriage. one yeah yeah you become yeah. a christian or to pretend to become to a christian. christian to marry a certain person or to date a certain right. person so that the object of faith yeah is, it becomes something like even then perhaps the uh uh yeah a, a the benefits of a um uh, of a marriage of rewards uh, and then the the miracles are something like the 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 object of of, of a well a supernatural event itself is latched to. Um, but all these things, uh, you know, are, they 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 uh, they fade, fall away, and they fail. Um, and so it becomes like, well, what are you actually left standing upon? You know. Yeah. And just so one last point from Voss before we look quick at question 73. How contemporary faith be distinguished from true justifying faith? Just a note on Voss, he does his whole commentary in this question and answer format, which is, 
I think we're pretty helpful. It's sort of a catechism on the catechism. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, how can temporary faith be distinguished from true justifying faith? The only sure way to distinguish between the two is by the test of time. True faith abides and grows with the passing of time. Temporary faith withers and dies. When a person's faith seems to arise, arise largely from emotional excitement, we should realize that it may not be true saving faith, but only temporary. So it may be not entirely obvious, you know, if someone's faith is true or not, especially when they're first starting out. Um, it's a fine line between immature faith and the faith of a new, of a new but true convert and someone who uh, might think they have faith, but uh, they actually don't. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but then let's look at question 73. Um, because what the question 21 covers, the larger essentially covers in two questions. Um, how doth faith justify a sinner in the sight of God? Because again, remember, the larger uh, treats faith uh, under justification. Faith justifies a sinner in the sight of God, not because of those other graces which do always accompany it, or of good works that are the fruits of it, nor as if the grace of faith or any act thereof were imputed to him for his justification, but only as it is an instrument by which he receiveth and applieth Christ and his righteousness. So what we have going on here is... Uh, Essentially, how does faith save? How does faith justify? And this uh, brings in this very important theological category regarding faith as the instrument of justification. Um, faith is not the grounds for salvation or righteousness. The grounds for salvation is the righteousness of Christ, and that's what you see at the very end. It only is the instrument by which he receiveth and applieth Christ and his righteousness. Christ and the his righteousness is the actual uh, basis of our salvation. It is what saves us. Faith is just the instrument, the means by which God applies that to us. Um, the Heidelberg doesn't get as detailed on this. Um, I think the Belgic might. I don't remember exactly. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, this is just uh, talking about how we are saved. So, faith is the instrumental cause. It is not a work. It's not as though we are saved because we have faith. As though, you know, oh, well, they have faith. So, that's what God, um, you know... That's a that faith is a meritorious work that God accepts, God receives, and so then we are saved. No, it's the instrumental cause. Yeah. Um, this, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, this is actually where uh, Lord's Day 25 is what uh, picks us up in, in question answer 65. So it asks, it's by faith alone that we share in Christ and all of his benefits. Where then does that come from? Um, it, it, it ties it... Uh, it ties it, uh, sorry, uh, um, wow, what am I thinking here? Uh, it ties it into that previous Lord's Day and Lord's Day 24, where it's saying that it, it is, uh, it occurs through, uh, into Christ by true faith and this engrafting. Uh, and then it is worked through that media uh, uh, of the means of, um, sorry, of the Holy Spirit, the medium of the Holy Spirit. Um, 
and then it goes directly into those means of grace saying then how faith is is uh, also produced and sustained in that same manner um there's a uh yeah there, there was an image that i think uh, that calvin would use that i, I always that's a really helpful thing in terms of uh you know when we're saying instrument of course this this is a, a scholastic category uh not actually like you know a, a musical instrument um but like a, a a a tool right uh an an item that is utilized uh for a certain purpose um but calvin would use a, a something of an image that i that i adapt um uh that like if you're to say, say faith is a, a receptacle, right? Faith is like a container. Perhaps you could imagine a bucket, and you know, let's say, uh, so you you use that bucket or that jar to, uh, to um, you know, to fill up with uh, with water, right? It's it's like you have say uh, Christ the fountain, uh, the, the of living water, and uh, the Holy Spirit is uh, the stream of living water that pours forth from Christ to taking it to, uh, to the, you know, that takes it to a well. And we use this bucket, uh, this, this receptacle of faith to dip into, you know, into, uh, into this, this wellspring, um, that's made by the spirit. And we use that faith to, uh, that, that faith bucket to draw up the water so that we might drink, partake of it. Um, so this is, this is close to what, what Calvin would say. I think it was in Institutes in uh, the fourth book. But, um, you know, it's a, uh, it, obviously, I'll now just break down. But this, this idea of a receptacle is like, you know, uh, in one instance, you, you, you have to have a receptacle that has its lid open, right? Uh, you, you know, the, the, the spirit has to open our hearts itself to pour things in otherwise if, it, if it's shut you try to put water or whatever on it's, it's just gonna gloss off the top right so this is why you have to have this this necessary um not just the the instrumental causation of faith but also a um but also the 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 uh what do you call it the 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 this formal causation right um you need to have the actual basis or source that you're grabbing onto, right? But you need to also have this, um, you need to have this, uh, uh, the, this, this, the spirit himself um, that is operating, that is, that is operational in bringing all those benefits to you. We can't grasp onto Christ on our own, presumptuously even. You know, I mean, our, but our, our hearts just will not be inclined to him. And that goes back to that very same initial issue from the beginning. We're sinners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, just a, another interesting point from Voss. A uh, little different, but under question 73. Because I was reading through this and looking at this, and this kind of struck me. Because Voss wrote... I think he wrote this commentary, he wrote it over a long period of time, he wrote it as a series of articles in the Blue Banner, which is a Reformed Presbyterian magazine. Um, but, uh, so it's been a while ago, but he asked this question, he says, what is the common error of liberal, liberal and scare quotes, Protestants concerning faith? He says, modernism or liberalism tends to regard faith as something valuable for its own sake. Something like morale or self-confidence. 
which mm. keeps the person from discouragement rather than regarding faith as a connecting link. So he, he talks about the instrument as like a connecting link or a channel uh, with the righteousness of Christ. Liberalism thinks of faith from the psychological point of view and regards mm. it as helpful and valuable because of the state of mind which it produces in a person rather than regarding it from the theological and scriptural point of view as having the atonement and righteousness of Christ for its object. According to liberalism, it is the act and attitude of believing rather than what or in whom we believe that is the important thing. Needless to say, this modern liberal idea of faith is utterly destructive not only of the doctrine of justification by free grace, but of the whole teaching of the Bible on faith and salvation. That is to say, the liberal idea of faith is destructive to Christianity. Um, I think that, that was a very good insight and still a very uh, timely insight because I know that a lot of what we see in our day, and we've talked about before things like this strange resurgence in Satanism or the strange mm. resurgence of even paganism, uh, or even just so often you'll hear people talk about how it's good to have faith. It's good to be a person of faith. Um, faith is held forth as as some kind of virtue. Um, a, a virtue in that it's something that good people have and good people mm -hmm. do. And uh, to the point where basically people just say, well, I have faith and you could probably... You could even think of like, you know, the, the classic George Michael song, which was the number one song in America the week I was born. Uh, you gotta have faith. Now, George Michael was, uh, um, he wasn't out at the time, but he ended up, you know, being a homosexual and wasn't a Christian as far as anyone would know, or I don't even think he ever would have claimed to be. But yeah, just having faith in faith, faith in nothing it comes back to something you've said already faith has to have an object i know this was also and I, maybe you get some of the cross-pollination here because jg voss he was the son of gerhardus voss who would have taught alongside j gresham machin at princeton uh before machin left to found westminster voss actually didn't stay didn't leave because he was near retirement um, but this is a point that Machen makes over and over again in his works. In fact, he has a book, and it's a really good book. I haven't read it in a while. I should go back and read it again. Um, less popular, less well-known than Christianity and liberalism, but it's called What is Faith? And he basically... Uh, yeah, <laughs> What is Faith? I wonder what that's about. And he makes a lot of these same <laughs> points. He talks about, uh, you know, what faith necessarily having an object because he was up against that same strain of liberalism and it's one we still see in our day that as long as you got faith in something or faith in faith you're good um no faith has an object faith has a ground and that is jesus christ um and if your faith is in anything else uh your faith is false your faith is vain um or if your faith is in nothing your faith is vain uh faith Faith in itself, just faith in whatever, is no good. It's nothing. It must be faith that it, uh, is grounded in Jesus Christ, or else there's no point to it at all. Yeah. Whoa. Hi. Sorry. Hello.
We have our first caller. I wish. And I don't know it's how to turn I don't know how to turn this thing off. Well throw it. I'll put it in the drawer. <laughs> so uh yeah, there's uh there's um say a little thought in that too. Um you know that's this this psychology uh, this this psychological element of of or the psychological perception of faith I should rather say of liberalism I mean this is really uh this is really uh Pelagianism right that's mm -hmm. that that that's exactly what his his concept would have been um that there's there's you know the the true solution to um to salvation because i mean he, he if you will he, he denied original sin in the first place the man was a a blank slate but uh man's real issue is is knowledge not ethical not a heart issue but a but a brain issue you just need to think right mm -hmm. so in other words there's an inner light in there um i mean his so his truly is a psychological faith um you are placing that very object uh, of faith in yourself. Thus, Jesus is no savior, but a mere example of right living. Um, that's it. But the, uh, you know, you get another strand too, I think with um, perhaps even in, especially a uh, Machen's day, um, maybe you don't see it as much now, uh, or at least they, it seems almost conservative uh, in neo-orthodoxy. Um, or those who have followed in the wake of, like, say, Schleiermacher, right, or or uh, Van Harnack and, and such, uh, the the idea that there's a, a kernel of faith, uh, uh, just a little seedling or core that's essential, um, that that's put in us apart from the gospel. Uh, essentially, we make ourselves the subject of faith. There, um, you know, it kind of it becomes uh, faith becomes just an experience, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, that's, that's really, uh, I mean, that, I think that's another thing that's, re that's wreaked havoc um, in what would appear to be at least otherwise conservative, perhaps, views. Uh, it almost passes for the real thing these days. Um, yeah. You know, faith is a pure uh, imitation or, or, or pure move. Um, I don't know. It's, it's that sense of just straight oh, uh, comfort, you know? Yeah, I think even just an example of this, not to veer off too much into politics, but, uh, you know, we've had the presidential primary going on, and one of the candidates on the Republican side is Vivek Ramaswamy. And, I mean, he seems like a nice enough guy and has some decent policy ideas and stuff. But one of the things about him is he's an Indian from India, and uh, he's a practicing Hindu. And yet, over and over again, you keep hearing him, see him post, and you hear him say things like, well, God is real, and it's kind of become this meme now among, you know, Reformed Christians on the internet. Like, which God, Vivek? Uh, you know, um, because Hindus are very, very polytheistic. Um, but also, too, he talks about, he posted something the other day, and it was about, like, how uh, all of us Jews and Christians and stuff, we have a common creed, and I'm just like, No. We actually we don't uh, very much do not actually like, you know, we're, you know, maybe we can cooperate on some things in the political realm. But when it comes to matters of faith, yeah, no, uh, 
we're, we're actually quite different there as far as, uh, well, just because I have faith, sincere faith in God, even as a Hindu, that, that puts me, you know, on the level and in the same place as, as Christians. Well, you know, this is, uh, it, it's kind of like how sad it is that when the, uh, basically a walking billboard of the coexist bumper sticker from 10 years ago now seems like the better alternative to, uh, you know, to the, the out and out, um, you know, woke army, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that, that's, that's seriously just a coexist statement there, you yeah. know, and which we used to, we used to, Christians used to rail against. Um, mm -hmm. And we know, still should. Up, and we still should. You still see them once in a while. They're, they're still out there on the them. road. <laughs> yeah. It's, but we we compromise with them now, you know, it's, yeah. it's that, that sounds fine to us because uh, you know, there's, there's such blatant apostasy and, and, and yeah. wickedness. But you brought up a really good word there, uh, perhaps to move towards our conclusion. Uh, you said, uh, you know, well, well, really, Vivek said uh, that we have the same creed. Yeah. So that's what, you know, and you said, no, we don't. Well, that's exactly what the catechism takes us to. We won't go into it here, but that's, that is exactly what Lord's Day 20, uh, 20, 120, <laughs> exactly what Lord's Day 7 ends with. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's simply a statement of, you know, um, you know, what are, what is it that a Christian has to actually believe uh, to be considered a Christian? Um, you know, the, uh, and this is this is what separates us at the most baseline. There, there's there's something of you could say a a more narrow exposition of the Apostles' Creed that uh, that has to be considered. That I would actually say is 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 thoroughly reformed. Um, but uh, you know, you notice the question of of question answer twenty two is not simply you know what do you believe as a Christian, but what must a Christian believe. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, all that kinda, is kind of hits as weird in our day of mere Christianity, uh, a mere Christianity. that's even more mere than even C.S. Lewis would have plotted out. Um, yeah. People try to remove the distinctions and make the target smaller and smaller, but we'll, we'll have to treat that another time. We'll, yeah. we'll do another episode because the next part is the Apostles Creed, like the whole thing. And then it goes through line by line. So what we'll do an episode next next time we come back to this series, just uh, looking at the Apostles Creed, maybe get some help from our friends on that. We'll see how uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll give that its own talk since uh, it's worth it. It's an important topic, the Apostles Creed and what's in it and why it matters. So I think we'll go ahead and uh, wind down for today. Yeah, Caleb, any parting thoughts on the on what we've seen so far in Lord's Day Seven? Uh yeah. You gotta have faith. <laughs> Quote What faith? George Michael. Which God, Vivek? <laughs> wow. See see this is this is the benefits of listening, uh, of of tuning into OFAD. Tell your friends, you know, if you want if you want, like, just a one-stop shop to discuss uh, Viveka, 
Uh, how would you pronounce his other name? Siswami? Ramaswami. Ramaswami. <laughs> Ramaswami. It's, uh, you know, if you want to talk to Vivek Ramaswami and George Michael at the same time, uh, you know, as well as uh, whatever else it is that we discussed, uh, you know, revivalism, <laughs> yeah. objects, then come to Once for All Delivered. Indeed. That's right. So so uh, you can get more of our content at our website, uh, onceforalldeliver.com. We're on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, etc. at OF80Podcast. You can email us, uh, OF80Podcast at gmail.com to complain about how disjointed and inane and juvenile that we are, um, which or is fine. Or you can just post about it on Facebook. <laughs> Not letting that go, are we? <laughs> um anyway yeah so also add petulant to the list of things that we are um but anyway yep that's ofad and uh we thank you for joining us and we hope you will join us next time and hopefully we'll be better that's right tell your friends tell your yes. wife thank you for listening to this episode for the latest news and updates, visit our substack at onceforalldelivered.com, where you can also support our work with a paid subscription. You can also follow us on social media at OFAD Podcast. If you like what you have heard, leave a five-star review where you get your podcasts and spread the word about the show. Once For All Delivered is hosted by Andrew Smith and Caleb Castro and produced by Andrew and Heidi Smith. A special thank you to our founding members, Eric and Kathy Hepker. We hope you will join us again next time on Once for All Delivered.